Welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast about the movies that make us feel seen. Today, my co-host is a comedian and writer known for being one of the nicest and most supportive in the business, and on the internet, Josh Gondelman. Josh wrote for The Jesus and Marrow Show, even appearing on camera. His stand-up special is called People Pleaser. His newsletter is called That's Marvelous. Those titles can give you a good little glimpse at Josh's signature, genuine warmth and positivity. So it might come as a surprise, it did to me, that Josh is feeling seen by Lewin Davis, the bitter, stubborn, and barely making it folk singer played by Oscar Isaac in the Coen Brothers movie Inside Lewin Davis. But once Josh explains, the contrast will feel relatable to anyone who has navigated the mean streets of attempting a career in creativity. Josh, how are you doing, and what do the people need to know about you before we get started? Oh my gosh, uh, I'm I'm doing well, thank you. I'm like <laughs> feeling uh, a nice like uh, rush of beginning of year energy and optimism, uh, mm-hmm. l- locally, and uh, you know trying to extend that globally and nationally. You are somebody who has written about feeling identified by a character on screen before who is very different from the character that we're going to discuss today. So I'm excited to get into those contrasts. I will say also, I guess a, a good thing to know about uh, Josh is every once in a while on Twitter, uh, he will come around and be like, hey, I have five minutes. Who needs a pep talk? Where where did the pep talk start with you? Are you a hype man in your real life with friends? Like, how does that factor into sort of like your approach to like personal relationships, getting to know people? Hey, who needs some hype for five minutes here? That's a great question. I it, I am a hype man in real life. That is, I'm like not professionally. <laughs> I'm an amateur hype man. I'm not a um, <laughs> you're not one of your Flavus Flav or um, Spliff mm-hmm. Star, but I really do like to hype people up because I think it's like it's hard to like ask for that sometimes. Like it's hard to ask mm-hmm. for that kind of. Hey, tell somebody, tell me that you believe in me. So I always try to like <laughs> offer that unsolicited because it is mm-hmm. such a, I've never, I don't know. I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable being like, Hey, um, can somebody tell me it's going to be okay? And so yeah. I, I, that's how I try to be for people in my life. And it started, this really ties into what we're going to talk Ooh, about excellent. today. But um, in late 2013, I believe I had, n- I think it was late 2013. I had hit some like real career doldrums that I was pretty stressed out about mm-hmm. and felt pretty low. And it was late at night and I'd had a gig canceled um, in part because the person who booked it, it was out of town. So I was like getting ready to drive up to the gig and mm-hmm. they hadn't been selling tickets online, which to me was a red flag. And then the the booker called me that morning and was like, um, the venue is like padlocked shut and we don't know how to get in. So we have to cancel this show. Uh, and I was like, okay. And then, um, he was like, we'll still, I'll still pay you the, the money when I'm still waiting on that. But, um, okay. so I was just like feeling like, oh, I can't even do this. Like I can't even drive to Connecticut and do the standup show I've had booked for months because of a padlock yeah. situation. Like just <laughs> yeah. everything kind of felt. And like this, I don't mean this as like a woe is me. I just mean like this is where I was at the time where like I didn't mm-hmm. know that things would improve. And it just like I, yeah. I had been in New York a couple of years and hadn't I, I had been making incremental progress, but it hadn't really yeah. clicked in a way that felt sustainable or substantial um mm-hmm. and and I felt really bad so that night 
on Twitter, like kind of late at night, I was like, you know, I would really like to hear just something reassuring because I don't think I I don't assume it's going to be this demoralizing forever. Like people calling just being like, yeah, uh, yeah, someone super glued the microphone to the ceiling. So we have to cancel the show. Uh, (laughs) And but I was like, it would be nice to hear someone else say it. And then I was like, that feels a little needy. I had however many like a few thousand followers on on Twitter at the Mm -hmm. time and was like, Hey, if if um if anyone's out if anyone there, else, yeah, that needs to hear something like just a little enthusiasm or encouragement, like let me know. Mm-hmm. And I did a few, and it was it felt really nice, and like it was like a nice back and forth, and it felt I felt like connected to people. Where like I think it would have felt to me again. Mm-hmm. This is not judgment on anyone who has a healthier relationship with asking for help and encouragement. But sure. like if I had texted someone at like eleven at night and been like. Yeah, tell me it's going to be okay. I feel like it would have felt red flaggier. So yeah, like been like, like really a, wrong. Yeah, and it was nothing was really wrong. I just felt kind of like I'd taken a couple, uh, you know, a couple pratfalls and wasn't feeling mm-hmm. great about it, and um, and so that that became that is kind of I did it on Twitter for a long time, but I have now too many followers for it to be sustainable yeah um and so that's kind of why it it ported over to the newsletter where Mm -hmm. it's like a place i can do that that is um that that where i can manage it a little bit better and um and and like be a little bit more conscious of my own time and making sure that i don't leave people hanging when Mm -hmm. i offer something well that does uh, that connects actually you were right perfectly well to the character that you have brought to discuss, which to me, having having read previous writing viewers about, like this character felt really resonant to me. Yeah, this one, t- I, uh, Oscar Isaac's Lewin Davis, the titular role in Inside mm-hmm. Lewin Davis, was who you presented to discuss today. Yeah, you still got your Siemens papers? Yeah, why? Well, if the music's not what, quit, Merchant Marine again, just exist, <laughs> exist. <laughs> Is that what we do outside of show business? It's not so bad, existing. Like Dad? Lewin. What? You say that about your own father. What? That he exists? I didn't say it. You said it. I, that he exists it. like that? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Tell me, was that like an immediate, like, when you first watched this movie where you were like, this is really hitting me correctly right now? Or, like, was this a slow burn kind of reveal? Like, tell me about the Josh Gondelman of Lewin Davis. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was... I saw it in theaters, mm-hmm. and it must have been the very end of 2013 or the very beginning of 2014. About the exact time that you're mentioning, dealing with, like, mm-hmm. I can't even drive to Connecticut mm-hmm. and, and play yeah. a fucking gig I've had booked for months. Yes. Yeah. So I am I saw this with my girlfriend at the time in the theater, and not not all the specifics, but, like, the dynamic of the character with the world, mm-hmm. I felt... Uh, like seen not in a good way. I felt obviously <laughs> if you've seen the movie, but I felt seen yeah. through. Like I felt like, oh, this is who I really am. Like no matter right. what uh, front I put up for people or like how I think of myself, and it's like this is a guy. This character is someone who isn't super self-aware and mm-hmm. doesn't treat the people around him really well. And I'd had like. Not, again, not super turbulent, but, like, a little bit of a hectic period of moving to New York and being there for 
two and a half years and like mm-hmm. I'd missed my mom's birthday one year and forgotten to call and just like yeah. all this little shit and, and so like the things about Lewin Davis like the things about the movie that jumped out at me as kind of defining features as I was watching it just like yeah. sinking like sinking into the seat being like disintegrated into <laughs> ash by like the yeah. laser intensity of this movie fo- <laughs> focus made at me mm-hmm. um I was seeing like this character who again doesn't treat people well doesn't think about other people isn't self-aware but mm-hmm. also specifically is like in New York City yeah. cr- pursuing a creative dream mm-hmm. and professional creative dream that is beyond his just beyond his capacity yeah. in a way that he cannot and either see or admit to or both mm-hmm. and it's so like that was really how i felt at mm-hmm. that period i was like oh i have ruined romantic relationships i have been negligent i've like skipped friends weddings yeah. i have you know i i just like can't get away from this dream of like i'm gonna make it where like yeah. everyone around me is like oh this person is you know they're in our lives and they're we owe them something or we pity them enough to give them something but like he's found his level oh god this like and and uh and he doesn't know it yet but like everybody else kind of sees it oh as i was watching it i was like because i had i had kind of like backseated watching this movie for a really long time like this mm. was actually my first watch i was like okay this is the thing that finally gets me to watch inside lewin davis yeah and like probably three quarters of the way through like deeply into it I was like wow this doesn't get talked about enough as a showbiz film yeah like because it really like like the, that thing you were saying about you know you in the in the gig in Connecticut like you mean I can't even do this like this like and, yeah. and in this this is the story of a man Lewin Davis who it's 1961 it's Greenwich Village and he's trying to break out in the folk scene which is mm-hmm. like it's like the time for that like so much so that like spoilers guys but like you see him walking out of a place where he's played so many gigs at one point where somebody sets him up with one and like the final one we see him play and he's like what playing the gaslight for the 800th time like he's exasperated it's like being a filmmaker and you've been like I've made a dozen shorts I don't want to make shorts anymore like mm-hmm. I want to make my feature and yeah. as he's walking out you see what is not explicitly but definitely you, but yeah. it's definitely Bob Dylan yeah like playing in this bar he's been at time and again and you're watching a guy who that is that feels so much like like you played the same room as Bob Dylan but you're not Bob Dylan. It, you're, not only are you not Bob Dylan, you don't even notice Bob Dylan you, you because even... you're so wrapped up in your own bullshit and, and yeah. you're like walking out and uh, uh, of this gig as Bob Dylan is is playing in, in a gig there. And, and you just like can't, not even like that it has to be brilliant, but you don't even clock that there's someone else on stage because you're you're so in your own head. And like, yeah, this, so it really, I mean, there's so much that was like, resonant like just the idea yeah. of Lewin Davis as a character having um been part of a duo that was like more successful and yeah. then um and, and and that is no longer an option for him obviously and mm-hmm. he's having trouble breaking out and he's just like and and there's this like everyone kind of misses his late partner creative partner mm-hmm. and, and he uh, you know th- it really he clearly misses him too and also mm-hmm. there's this thing of like everyone just wants him to be part of a group that he's like literally like cosmically unable to be a part of and <laughs> yeah. um you know like there's just no 
everyone's like, you should think about getting back together. We miss Mikey. And it's so sad. And it's just like, it, it, the grief is compounded with just these kind of like professional kicks in the ribs and literal kicks in the ribs. Yeah. But like, um, <laughs> Well, also not being a sympathetic figure himself. Like, you don't necessarily want to root for Lewis because yes. he's kind of a shithead. No. But, it, like, you're watching no. this and it's, like, if you're even tangential to the way, like, people trying to succeed in creative fields like this, you're like, this guy's a shitty person. But when the world feels stacked against you in that exact specific way that the entertainment and creative spaces can as an aspiring professional... You see, like, you're like, I, I see the, I, for myself, have, like, seen the path in the road where it's like, I could go this way and be Lewin Davis because mm-hmm. I am just yeah. that demoralized with, like, man, I yeah. can't even, I can't even succeed at my failure plan. He, at one point, is like, fine, fuck it. I'm going to go join the Merchant Marines because my sister said I should and I've, I'm washed out. I'm not going to do this job. And he doesn't even have his credentials anymore to get into his failure plan. And you're like, I can't even yeah. fail right is how this feels for me. Yeah. Where'd you put my file box? Huh? From the house. Where's my file box? You told me to throw everything out. All the old shit. Joy, fuck. You threw out my file box? Lewin? Yeah, no cursing, except now I gotta go back to the fucking Union Hall. It had my master's mates and pilot's license and... Jesus Christ, Joy! You told me to put it out by the curb. It's what I did. And it's like he's kind of locked himself in... Because it's all, or almost all, his... Other than... Um, his songwriting and song and performing partner Mikey dying by suicide. Right, mm-hmm. all the other stuff is kind of his fault, which is mm-hmm. you know he couldn't rejoin the Merchant Marines because he got mad at his sister and told her to throw out all his his creative stuff at his parents' house, and then she did, yeah, because he hadn't <laughs> considered that he would she need did. it. Right, so it's like all this stuff that's like it's on him, and, and mm-hmm. in a way that's like. I think people are understanding that he's having a hard time, like financially he's having a hard time. Clearly he has this, this pain uh, from, from losing Mikey that is, uh, mm-hmm. that is lingering with him, even though he doesn't really talk about it. Like all this stuff is in there. And so people are, they indulge him and they, they're um, generous to him, but he makes it really hard on them too like by just by being a prick the whole time to everyone um (laughs) and and like condescending and like you know i think that one of the things that is such such like a funny and maybe this is just my reading of it not being Mm. like a scholar of folk music but like he looks down his nose at like everyone that he sees perform and that even that he collaborates with and it's like the stuff he's doing isn't that different to an outsider you know what I mean which I think is such a funny <laughs> detail what do you think what him Troy wonderful performer is he wonderful please don't go does he have a higher function that like he's like can you believe this shit and like as a viewer i'm kind of like yeah i guess it's i mean other than the (laughs) please mr kennedy novelty song but like everyone that he sees at the gaslight is like yeah um, he's like oh can you believe this fucking schlocky bullshit and he's it's like he's not that he just has a nicer beard (laughs) yeah (laughs) he just looks like oscar isaac he just is oscar isaac poppy will let you play tomorrow 
Pick up a couple bucks? No, he won't. I was there less than a month ago. He will. I asked him. Well, thank you. It was uh, very nice of you, but um, I'm out. I'm done. I'm going back to the Merchant Marine. What, that's it? This could be good for you tomorrow. Playing the gaslight for the 400th time for the fucking basket. Actually, you'd have to split the basket. <laughs> There's another act. But the Times is going to be there. Oh, the Times. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thanks for the thought. But uh, it's not going anywhere. The first time I watched it, and I haven't seen it, I haven't watched it in mm-hmm. a decade. Um, because it, I found it to be such a... Um, such an indictment of my own character. <laughs> and so, uh, it, but it was, it was really interesting to watch now as somebody who has been, had a, a very fortunate mm-hmm. intervening decade mm-hmm. professionally where like not everything has gone the way that I had hoped, you know, in, in every moment, but like I've made a a comfortable living and paid my bills and gotten to work on all sorts of stuff in collaboration with other people and stuff that has been of my, um, devising Mm -hmm. and, and, and spearheading. And so I've had a really thrilling set of career opportunities Mm -hmm. for the last 10 years, which is really amazing. But rewatching the movie now, I definitely still feel that like ugliness mm-hmm. in me mm-hmm. bubble up of like oh i remember a time that i was more like this i still have like if you know at, at, at times where i'm like not having a great day i still have that feeling of like oh you th- you still think there's more yeah. out there for you and you've topped out and um and that is like i think one of my worst professional feelings because it's not just like if this is what it is then this is what it is and i feel very like fortunate to be where i am and where i've been but the idea of feeling of like moving through the world like deluded and and not hearing the you know because it's i think in entertainment like you were talking about and i imagine other fields too but it's hard to know when someone says no to you whether it's no it's you you're not gonna do it or no i don't see it yet yeah and like what what felt worse the first time i watched it um 10 years ago but felt a little more hopeful uh this time was that he doesn't quit at the end uh-huh. like yeah. he doesn't he can't join the, like he could have scraped together that last 83 dollars somehow yeah. for the merchant marines but he doesn't and he goes back to the gaslight and and then which i think is like a really like subtly surreal bit of filmmaking is very the, much the, so the opening sequence of the movie essentially repeats itself and and mm-hmm. he's back performing the same music, but with it with another song added. Right, he doesn't play the duo song at the beginning. Yeah, and he and he doesn't let the cat of the older friends of where he's staying out the at the end. He closes yeah. the door and the cat stays in instead of like causing this whole kind of wild goose chase. Um, <laughs> and he 
And and but he still plays and he goes and Bob Dylan plays after him and he doesn't notice and he goes out to the back behind the, the the club and gets the shit kicked out of him again by another folk performer's husband because he was yeah. rude to her the previous night. And uh and like it it almost feels like he has made like the result was the same but the process was better. <laughs> yeah. I listened to uh a Boston Celtics podcast, Still Potable, <laughs> shout out to Still Potable, where they talk a lot about like process versus results. And I think in sports mm-hmm. you hear it a lot. And like yeah. um Trust the so, process. Trust, trust the process. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And so the I it's like mildly hopeful that he has improved the process, even if he hasn't improved it enough for it to bear fruit yet. And I think that that is like kind of a light solace. And I because I find it a not a cynical film, mm-hmm. but a, a, you know, it's a downer. Yeah. I should, and apologies to you, I should have also led at the top with, if you yourself are a, a Bostonian or a fan of Boston, you might also know Josh Goldman. Oh, that was sure. a huge omission on my part. Yeah, uh, yeah, complete, yeah, that's true. Like, you know, yeah, shouts out to, to, to Dunkin' Donuts Boston. and Boston yeah. and Josh Goldman as a package. Thank you. Um, but I, 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 just that little uh, thing I wanted to circle back to that you talked, like, you not wanting to be like so deluded that you become like the sad Lewin Davis like p- version of yourself in parts of this movie and yet at the same time like there is a an essential component kind of of just the slightest bit of motivating delusion that you kind of need to succeed and because it's it's against the odds. Totally. Like, it's like, here, pay me to create imaginary things and make people laugh with stories yeah. that you're asking for people to give you steady paychecks for. So there's just like, you. there is such a razor's edge of com- of healthy delusion yes. that is required to succeed in this industry, but it is so easy to fall on the wrong side of that totally. razor's edge. And, it's, I, and I think the, I, at the time that I first saw this movie, I was, it was the, similar like i wasn't in as dire straits life you know i wasn't mm-hmm. couch surfing within the city i, I like yeah. had a couple bucks in my bank account in a way that he's <laughs> you know really living hand to mouth and i like i was okay but it mm-hmm. wasn't i wasn't doing great like it, it wasn't yeah. sustainable and, I, and so i was really hitting that point of like how many times do i do the same gig without anything yeah. changing how many times or how much longer am i okay that when i go out of town to perform i have to like crash with somebody you know sleep on their couch yeah. because otherwise i'm like losing money on the gig and like mm-hmm. and and you know is that uh, is is that worth it in and of itself which it could be right if you're like mm-hmm. if if you're a performer and you're like i i this kind of um subsistence performing is like as lucrative as it's ever going to get but it is nourishing creatively that no no shame in that but i was like is it going to be this or is it going to be something else and you can never know like you can't know Mm -hmm. and this was like truly one to two months before i got my first full-time job working in television so it's like but you never know that like you can't know oh, um, I'm, like, right on the other side of this Mm -hmm. wall, like, or I'm right around the corner from this Mm -hmm. opportunity. Like, you can only know that that kind of, like, narrative only really exists in hindsight. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that like uh, a friend of mine, the, the filmmaker named Sam Weinman, he was he uh, we were talking through like, you know, the L.A. of it all one mm-hmm. time. And he's like, you know, how there are six basic emotions, except in L.A. there are seven and it's being so close. <laughs> and since then, like L.A. close is like a core uh, like Los Angeles emotion that exists like obviously over like extends into creatives and yours like that like that feeling yeah. of just like being and not even knowing necessarily like you until you have the benefit of hindsight not even necessarily knowing how close you even were but still feeling that like this time it's that the limit does not exist like vanishing threshold yes, the it's, asymptotic it's asymptotic line. that's exactly the word I was about to use <laughs> to describe what you were saying I just performed it I'm so proud of us I just for that. performed at a math conference last week so asymptotes are like top of mind <laughs> it's time for a short break but I'll be right back with more from Josh Gondelman Then I'll have one quick thing about a very important dad cinema movie coming out, The Beekeeper, starring Jason Statham. That's what we're going to close it out with, so stick around to the end. Everyone. Step right up. We're going to heal you. We are the healers, Ross and Carrie. Yes, yes. You there. You look like you're upset. Come up here. Yes, you are healed because you've listened to our podcast. Yes. Have you been having trouble with demons? Are you sleeping too much? Too little? Just right? We have the solution. It is to listen to Oh, oh no, no, Ross and, and Carrie. A show where we examine unusual claims. We show up so you don't have to. Find us on MaximumFun.org. We won't actually heal you. The human mind can be tricky. Your mental health can be complex. Your emotional life can be complicated. So it helps to talk about it. I'm John Moe. Join me each week on my show, Depression Mode with John Moe. It's in-depth conversations about mental health with writers, musicians, comedians, doctors, and experts. Folks like Noah Khan, Sashir Zameda, and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. We talk about depression, anxiety, trauma, imposter syndrome, and perfectionism. We have the kind of conversations that a lot of folks are hesitant to have themselves. Listen, and you won't feel as alone, and you'll have some laughs, too. Depression Mode for Maximum Fun at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. Writer and comedian Josh Gondelman has been telling me about Feeling Seen by Lewin Davis, as played by Oscar Isaac in the 2013 movie Inside Lewin Davis. He's got more to say about that, but first we're going to talk about another character Josh has related to. Let's get back to the conversation. Okay, so now that we've established the Lewin of it, yes. I want to tie the Lewin of it into the Tuca and Birdie oh, sure. of it all. Yeah, yeah. Where you had you previously written a piece for Vulture about mm-hmm. how much you sort of saw yourself in the bird character of Speckle, who I believe is a Robin, voiced by Stephen Yun. Yep. And he is Birdie's Newly boyfriend. Golden Globe winning Stephen Yun. Newly Golden Globe winning. Hey, what do you think if I hang this picture up here? Oh, it's a photo of your own face. Yeah, makes me really happy. I think I look handsome in it. That's what mirrors are for. Tuca and Birdie, gone too soon. Truly. A great animated series. Great animated series. You, like... It was a it was a piece that was basically like in praise of the nice guy rendered with nuance and complexity that kind of like a nice guy character doesn't typically get. 
So what I wanted to lead with on that was you talking about like feeling like skewered through by seeing Lewin and sort of his his insensities and his self-involvement and then feeling really like it resonated with you seeing Speckle, who is somebody who like does care and sort of goes out of their way to make people feel appreciated in that time of your life when you're watching Lewin Davis for the first time and you're seeing these more, I guess, negative parts about you brought out on screen you're not necessarily proud of. Was that a time then when it, you were feeling an, a non-characteristic sense of sort of self-involvement or I guess narcissism or whatever? Yeah, 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 for compared sure. Compared to what would be your standard then, which might be more speckle-oriented. Yeah, I definitely, it was definitely, um, I was, my my normal levels of narcissism and self-involvement were peaking at that moment. <laughs> my day-to-day narciss- yeah. feelings of narcissism and self-involvement. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I've I've had definitely had experiences where the state of mind I'm in has influenced, and not just like I'm in a bad mood, so I don't like this or I'm in a good mood. So I do like this, but like, um, it's very much influential. Like that was truly at a moment where the moment in my life and career where Mm. that seeing that movie for the first time most felt like someone like Ethan Cohen crouching behind me, Joel (laughs) Cohen pushing me over from the chest. Uh, And so, I, I think normally I relate more, or in, at least I feel like a stronger bond with characters that I think mm-hmm. um, share attributes that I like aspire to or am at my mm-hmm. best. And that's kind of that's how I felt seeing Speckle, who's like, I'm like, oh yeah, like doesn't always get it right, but like means well, has conflicting like is not subsumed into his romantic relationship but like really wants Mm -hmm. to be a good partner and sometimes that comes into conflict with like personal desires and sometimes you have to um say things that are uncomfortable to uh, assert your own needs and preferences you know Mm -hmm. and and make sure that that you can integrate that with your partners but like i just thought that that's such a, a responsible adult way of being and and i like really mm-hmm. like it i i really like that as a, a portrayal of the of a character like involved in this this career and and life and and love and stuff i thought that was really great mm-hmm. and i was in a position by the time duke and birdie came out i was and am happily married and was like kind of humming along professionally in a much smoother mm-hmm. less um unstable way of course i want to live with you really yeah you know when you're coming home late at night yeah and everything inside looks so warm and yellow and everything outside is so blue i love thinking about how from now on this little piece of yellow is for us our warm home together that's pretty gooey huh Aw, you guys. And so, yeah, it felt very, very different. I still am like, oh, I see this impulse within me and then this, like, kind of aspiration or, or capacity within me, too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For, with with both characters, respectively. I think that's such a, like, that's one of the most fun parts I, I experience about doing this show is that it's not just, like, it's not just the things we see, it's when we see them, which yeah. I think just such as an incredible underscoring aspect of, like, 
you make something and you work really hard on it and you have a really exacting vision of what it is as like the creator of it. But then once it arrives in the world, it becomes everyone else's and not mm-hmm. in a uniform way either. It becomes a million billion different things if a million billion different people see it. And that's just yeah. a, as I feel like there's a, it's at least some degree of controlling this about people who go toward creative careers because they, again, the vision that they have for their work. But then it is also the ultimate act of surrendering control when you offer mm-hmm. up this thing that you have made for everyone to interpret and mutate and dissect and set in front of them, which is an incredible contrast. Like, I really get, I think it's, it's just another one of those sort of like mind fucky things that makes the, a career in these arts um, and especially insane thing for a person to pursue (laughs) and and i think now more than ever we're in a phase where unless you are like an entrenched established um credentialed legacy like bankable uh writer directors actor what you are more than ever at the mercy of anyone's interpretations right where like i think the idea of like you know budgets for criticism are dwindling so there is less thoughtful professional criticism happening yeah like pauline pauline kale could she make a living today like could pauline kale 2.0 be like oh yeah that's a career i'm gonna commit to because i will be i will be taken care of in my life such that like i can devote my life to the art of this criticism And, and there's more like more of what is feedback is like kind of tossed off you know just like uh social media feedback and responses to things and like there's a lot of that that's really gratifying and lovely but i think there's a lot of negative stuff that people say and do Mm -hmm. that is like that they don't have to consider the weight of it because they don't have a, a professional stake in it, right? Like, they don't have to feel any level of professional responsibility mm-hmm. towards it or, like, cultural responsibility towards it. They can just, like... And, and it doesn't show up in the newspaper. They say it right to you through your phone. It's, <laughs> yeah. like, being texted, like, fuck you, you fucking suck, dude. Yeah. And um, and I, I think, again, that, like, a multiplicity of... Or not again, for the first time, I guess I'm saying it here. But a multiplicity of voices is really beautiful and necessary and good. Mm-hmm. But the opening um, opening the floodgates to, like, all kind of cruelty from all sides is fraught. Mm-hmm. I'm actually curious now about, like, because like you said, you, you see this movie and it's like, a, you don't know, but it's a couple months before you were about yeah. to get your first solid foothold in mm-hmm. this industry that's going to, like, send you on a nice, like, a good steady upward path for the next decade, at least. Decade, like, we're, sure. we're, we're still in progress on that. But, like, that is still a different time in terms of the way feedback comes at you. Have you found that the way in which that feedback and the multiplicity of voices being a part of your experience as a create like has that changed your work or your process in a way from the start of your career when that was less of a factor to now yeah okay definitely and i think sometimes in good ways and sometimes in um like less healthier beneficial yeah. ways yeah. i do think one thing that that is sometimes overlooked in these kinds of conversations is that like it is good to be thoughtful of the impact that your work has on people when they 
receive it, to be mindful of ways that people outside of your experience might receive it. And I think that that is something that like I've been made, my awareness of that is much better because of the internet and social media, but also like just reading different voices being published and shared. Mm -hmm. And like, so not necessarily like feedback that I've gotten, but like seeking out different voices and cultural um, perspectives and, and and critical perspectives, I think is like really helpful and important to, to not doing something that you don't know you won't stand behind. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So going to, to Boston, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Speaking of Boston, there is standard, um, slang like sure. pretty pretty uh not exclusive but like a prevalent regional slang for a liquor store uh-huh. is people would call it a, a packy which is oh in in every every iteration of explanation i've ever heard is that it is short for package store and is not racially <laughs> wow um, yeah not racially motivated at all and then you go oh that's also like a uh terrible slur that people use against people from pakistan yeah and so you go oh that's like a word that even when i'm using it innocently it's not even like from the same tree right no, that you, yeah. it's not like oh no i don't mean it like that like yeah. no, i don't mean it like when someone whatever 10 years ago would be like uh oh i didn't mean it when i called your blanket gay or yeah. whatever like <laughs> this is different than that in that the etymology is not the same but yeah. it's like well you have to, it's it's helpful to be conscious of what you're saying to people even if like you don't mean it in a certain way um so that's yeah. i think that's like a real positive like to not just um <laughs> entrench yeah. yourself in like this is my point of view and i'm gonna say it in a way that like is it it doesn't matter that other people exist However, I do think that there is, like, an amount of immediate feedback that Mm -hmm. certainly has influenced where I share certain things. Mm. And that's not to say that I'm, like, hiding things from people, but I I have this newsletter that has about 8,000, 8,700 subscribers at at current... um, this moment and it feels like a little bit more even though there's not a paywall it feels like a little bit more of a barrier for entry yeah. for people who are going to interpret something that i'm saying in bad faith mm-hmm. and that yeah. i think the like twitter and like once you get to a certain saturation point you have mm-hmm. the like the drawbacks of some level of fame right whereas yeah. like people see you and like have judgments upon you without knowing you and and on social media can like access you directly without the insulation of like traditional fame which is like money mostly right and yeah. having people <laughs> to like money to like wall you off from some like you know it's so when i do anything it's so mm-hmm. easy for and, and i'm a little too online but it's so easy for anyone to be like, like hey man you fucking stink, you loser. But, like, <laughs> think about how hard it is to to tell Tom Cruise you hated Mission Impossible 7. Yeah. Yeah, that's, like, that's screaming at somebody who's standing on top of the Empire State Building and expecting yeah. them to hear you. Yes, totally. And I, and I think that it's, like, a very interesting tension in making creative work. Again, mm-hmm. I don't want to sound like woe is me about it, but it definitely is something that is, like, worth thinking about and and navigating, right? Of, like... Oh, this I need to 
first of all, find a healthy way to manage my participation in this kind of two-way communication. Mm -hmm. But also, like, I don't know, you see so many people who are, who have, like, cultivated a following, Mm -hmm. and now, uh, until they can jump to the kind of next thing, like something Mm -hmm. that has either... Either they create that structure for themselves because they're yeah. making so much money or have so much um, the, an apparatus around them, right, that, that insulates them a little bit. Or you use that as a platform to uh, enter into like a more traditional entertainment mm-hmm. structure, company, job, whatever. But like I, I think people feel really exposed and accountable to fans in a way that is like not historically – how things went and I think it like really is draining to people and I really do feel like a lot of uh empathy for people that are like oh yeah I I did this YouTube stuff and it it was really popular and it like I made a living and quit my day job and now Mm -hmm. like I have to like read the comments because that's part of it right is like interacting with the fan community in, in a lot of instances and then when people are cruel it like it reaches you just as fast. And yeah. like, even if you can go, Oh, that's okay. That's just like someone having a bad day. It like, mm-hmm. it stinks to, mm-hmm. to be like, Oh, my livelihood is reliant on <laughs> ingesting all this bile. Mm-hmm. And that like gets me to like, as we come closer to the end, I want to do a little bit of a scene study with you with the Lewin Davis movie. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the F Murray Abraham scene yeah. where, where Lewin goes in to audition for this guy who manages folk talent and mm-hmm. his manager who he doesn't really like sent inside Lewin Davis his album to F Murray Abraham and he's like ah oh, I didn't get that album he's like but you're standing here play something for me I'm interested in, in gigging here but um, maybe also in obtaining management uh huh you getting any money out of Mel not bad yeah I bet okay let's hear something you don't want to hear the record? Why should I? You're here. Play me something. Play me something from inside Lewin Davis. And, you know, Oscar plays him this beautiful song because it's lovely. And there's a long pause and F. Murray Hammerman goes like, I don't see a lot of money in this. And not yeah. in the most glib way, but not in the not in the most intentionally sensitive way either. He's yeah, blunt. He's blunt. And I he's like, you know, you should really be part of a part of a group. Like, why don't you get back together with your old creative partner, which is just yeah. picking at that scab of his, that tragic wound. Yeah. Look, I'm putting together a trio, two guys and a girl singer. You're no front guy, but if you can cut that down to a goatee, stay out of the sun. We might see how your voice works with the other two. You comfortable with harmonies? No. Yes, but um, no. No, I had a partner. Uh-huh. Well, that makes sense. My suggestion? Get back together. That's good advice. Thank you, Mr. Grossman. I feel like every creative has had that that F. Marie Abraham moment where somebody says, like, I don't see the money in what you do. Or, like, I don't yeah. see how your voice stands on its own. And I wanted to know how you navigate that thing of, like, okay, there is an aspect of this person of maybe they just don't get what I do. Or maybe what I do is not quite honed enough right now. Or maybe they're right. Like, what has that been like for you training yourself to ingest those moments in productive ways and tossing out the bad but not tossing out everything like how do you how have you learned to do that 
Yeah, that is a great question. It kind of circles back around to the idea of like having that little bit of delusion, right? Where you yeah. have to you have to parse out like what is the criticism that you can take and use to improve versus what is the mm. criticism that is like someone offering you their point of view that doesn't always have a lot to do with what you do. And um yeah. and, and so I think it is really like I try to give myself when I get feedback like that, which is like, you know, I, I don't think it was cruel, but it certainly wasn't kind but it also wasn't yeah. ungenerous right where he was like <laughs> yeah. oh i i here is a path forward for you that i could possibly offer if the, if you're yeah, willing he, like, to offers do this help in yeah. that moment he's like here's how we can be something for yes. each other and so it wasn't it's not it wasn't like hit the bricks loser yeah and, and it wasn't but it was also not what he wanted to hear and so i think mm. there is like there there's <sighs> I think there's like a few different responses, right? I try to give myself, a, again, that afternoon to stomp around and be like, fuck you, you don't get it. Yeah, and then, totally. And then after, I, in private, and then after that, uh, you kind of have three choices, right? You go, uh, this this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, or this guy is right, and I should, I should uh, modulate what I do, at least in some kind of, compromise mm -hmm. to to take in that feedback and improve my work or you the kind of third way is this guy is right like there it might not be a lot of money in what i do but mm -hmm. it's the thing that i do so i'm gonna keep mm -hmm. doing it and i think like the um figuring that out like trying to tease out the use of like the, that middle that second way of like what is the use in what they said yeah. um, is like a really helpful exercise, right? To be like, yeah, this person said no to me. How can I make it mm -hmm. harder for them to say no the next time? Yeah. But a lot of it is like, you know, it's what people think can make them money. And that means not just your value, but how they earn their money, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if you'd played that beautiful folk song for like the manager of a grocery store and the manager yeah. of the grocery store had said i don't think there's a lot of money in this for me like yeah. that makes sense right and it's like so there's that yeah. spectrum so i do think figuring out even when you're mad how to tease out like what was useful about this and then like how much of that truth do i want to incorporate because like mm -hmm. you know for lewin it it does seem like in that moment specifically the idea of working with other people isn't just something that he's like above or too good for. It's just too mm -hmm. painful was my read on yeah. it. Like he, yeah. he can't do that again with people that he wants to have a long-term relationship with. Whereas when mm -hmm. Jim says, I have a session gig for you playing guitar and he goes, okay. And then he goes, yeah, yeah, this, this song sucks. Who wrote it? And Jim goes, I did. Sure. No place to be a hero. Okay. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. okay. Hey, look, I'm happy for the gig, but who, who wrote this? I did. Okay. So, okay. Good. Shout. And then he stays and plays yeah. it anyway. And then he Yeah, takes... and Jim's about to buy himself a house in the suburbs yep. of a family yep. with all the money he's going to get from that big yep. hit. Yep, and he... But, but Lewin, uh, because of 
positions he's put himself in in part right and and then where he is signs away the royalties so he can get an upfront payment as just guy who played guitar and sang rather than like a piece of the the publishing or whatever and so yeah. and so when that's it, it's intimated right that that song is about to be a big oh, hit yeah. and people get a real kick out of it and he because he was in need but also because he doesn't think things through he yeah. um he screwed himself out of financial stability potentially I think that is that that feels so much like an encapsulation of the conversation. Like when you said, like you talking about the initial watch of this movie and feeling like that laser burning through you of like, and then a decade later watching it again, it's like, what can I take from this art yeah. that is a criticism yeah. of me in some ways? And what can I preserve that is productive? And what can I remove mm-hmm. that is just damaging to me? Feels like kind of like an ethos encapsulation of your experience with Lewin Davis. Yeah. And and I do think like giving myself a little more grace and generosity yeah. with like the wisdom of years and uh, et cetera. I do think it's, I can look at myself and go, I don't mistreat people. Yeah. I'm not cruel to strangers mm, yeah. and, and and loved ones and like I uh I don't maybe there are creative goals I have that are like beyond what ultimately will be my career path mm-hmm. but I think there is a healthy way to do that right and it's like there as long as you're not letting someone's cat loose yeah. and you are like a not cutting yourself off from really vital parts of your own artistic voice because you don't want to deal with the feelings of doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I think it's like so subtle because the movie is such a downer yeah. in so many ways. <laughs> um, and then for him to like be right back there, but like you kind of get the feeling that almost he's like at the beginning of the groundhog day progression <laughs> yeah. of like, m- Maybe I can, if I do this a little different every mm-hmm. time, right, then and, and, and like do it a little better and I'm a little more thoughtful and conscientious, maybe it's not just playing the gaslight for the 400 first time. Maybe it's like what else you're bringing to it and, and what else uh, you're allowing yourself to take from that experience. Mm-hmm. Well, that I feel like I feel like is a really nice note to wrap up on, Josh, and to tell you that I am so grateful we were finally able to make it work for you to come on with us. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, this was such a pleasure. Thank you, Jordan. This was such a blast. Thank you. Thank you so much to Josh Gondelman. We are so glad this could work out. We've been hoping to have him on the show for so long. He finally made it and truly lived up to everything I hope. Uh, If you're interested in a weekly pick-me-up, add yourself to the select but growing list of subscribers to That's Marvelous, and we will put a link in the show notes, so that can be a little easy click-click-click for you. And one last shout-out to the cancelled too soon Tuca and Birdie, created by Lisa Hanawalt, a fellow MaxFun co-host over at Baby Geniuses. Tuca and Birdie and Lisa Hanawalt, friends of the show. Uh, And now, that one quick thing before I go, I don't know if your dad's been texting you about it, but my dad's been texting me about it. The Beekeeper, starring Jason Statham, the newest movie from director David Ayer. And listen, I don't know about his supposedly awesome 
uh, air cut of the Suicide Squad, which he says is, you know, just the the bee's knees. But um, uh, I don't know about that. I don't want to know about that. But what I do know is that what I want to see David Ayer making is grimy movies where um, probably guys beat the shit out of a bunch of people. Like, that's what I want from him. That's that's the assignment. And that looks like the beekeeper. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, So I love Jason Statham. Jason Statham and Gerard Butler are two of the hardest working, highest delivering, most entertaining men in show business. They don't let me down. And I bet if you open your heart to them, they wouldn't let you down either. Uh, the beekeeper is about a man who, after being taken in by a kindly woman, uh, that woman, they develop like a wonderful uh, cohabitating relationship, it seems like, so nice, that in the trailer it's like, and then she gets credit card scammed, and then she kills herself <laughs> because her entire, like, savings gets gets obliterated. So that's dark as hell, oh my god. Well, then what's the stave gotta do? What's the stave gotta do? He has to avenge her by not only taking down the financial scamming operation, but of course by finding the bad behind the bad and discovering how far up the financial scamming operation goes, who that money really funnels to, who it benefits from, what part of them, what master criminal organization it belongs to. And if you're Jason Statham, who in this movie plays this beekeeper, and guess what? Beekeeper is a code name for an extrajudicial killing force that basically comes in when no one else can do the job. That's like a like government, but off the books, uh, I guess collection of scary terrifying people jason statham was one of those and so now he has to uh get get everyone out of his way and as jeremy irons tells us in the trailer they have to kill him before he kills his way to the top sorry you're not gonna stop him i have a hunch you're not gonna stop him uh mini driver is also here and i'm so excited anytime i get to see mini driver and yeah jason statham half of my favorite celebrity couple him and rosie huntington whitley uh love them pure glamour pure sexy the beekeeper coming to a theater and to your dad's eyeballs uh soon uh let's let's all go support independent cinema but also support jason statham uh and that is that is the show you can follow us, all you beekeeping fans out there. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod, or send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jorkru on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.